This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. This is Sports Charlotte, the podcast about, what was that again? Oh, sports in Charlotte. Absolutely. My name is Herb White. I'm editor-in-chief at the Charlotte Post. And as per usual, most of the time. Most of the time. <laughs> Unless you do an episode without me. You make me feel sad. That's the voice of Cameron Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Over here, all down in the mouth and everything. But don't feel bad. It is March 1, 2024. And as we speak, it is raining in Charlotte, but it will not rain on the parade of sports because there's plenty to talk about. And we're going to just get right into the meat of the week that was and the week to come. And so, first things first, you doing okay other than complaining? Doing great. Um, (laughs) You know, I, I complain. Doing a podcast without you. Hey, if you've got good material, you've got to roll. But anyway, I'm just kidding. Oh, well, you know what? That's a great idea. I think we're going to have to do more of that. That Everybody's in the collaboration in the media biz these days. So, you know, that geriatric, Jurassic (laughs) way of thinking. I'm lone wolf. It's out. But speaking of somebody who's been around for a while, uh, Steve Joyner who is the men's basketball coach at Johnson C. Smith, uh, eclipsed a milestone uh, Saturday past uh, when he won his 600th game. Uh, the Golden Bulls uh, beat Claflin in the uh, Seattle regular season finale over at Bray Boy Gym. And 600 wins is quite the barrier. Uh, obviously, there are coaches who've been around longer, who've coached in more games, won more games, uh, especially on the Division One level, where where there are more basketball games played in a season than in Division Two, but still, 600 is a great achievement. Yeah, he's uh, now the winningest coach in Golden Bulls history, um, if my records are correct. So, I mean, I think it's uh, you, you say 600. I just I think when you look across college basketball as a whole, doesn't matter what level. Once you reach 600, you're in you know, a top tier of like, say, 20 to 25 coaches that have really reached that milestone. Well, and across all divisions, I think there's like a, Joyner now makes 123 or 124 is, coaches in the history of college it. basketball. Wow. So that is monumental in and of itself. And, you know, this is, I think he's like third all time in the CIAA in terms of CIAA wins. Uh, Big House Gaines from Winston-Salem State, who's a inductee to the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, the Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, he had more than 800 wins. Uh, Dave Robbins, who's from, who's from Gastonia and still alive and kicking, uh, he also eclipsed that that barrier. Uh, and then there's Steve Joyner, who is now 600. And it's a remarkable achievement. Uh, he's been there for 37 years as the head coach. He's coached 36 years. Uh, the COVID year of 2020-21 was wiped out, so he didn't coach at all. And to me, the thing that stands out about him isn't necessarily the 600 wins. you know, And that's great. But the thing that sticks out about 
Steve is that he has been the face of Smith Athletics for like 40 years almost. Uh, whether it was the women's basketball coach, which was his gig before he took over the men's program, the men's program itself, and two stints as athletic director uh, through good and bad, uh, no matter what the sport was, he was there to support his team. And the university has not had these large budgets where they could even compete favorably on the Division Two level in, in many instances. And somehow he found ways to make it work, even without the best of facilities that now are just popping up left and right. And part of that is, you know, was the work that he put in, as well as other people that are now on that staff. And he's been the face of uh, Smith Athletics, and he's just a good person. I mean, no matter how good a coach he's been, he's been an even better person, uh, amiable. And as a journalist, you love people who will talk to you and be honest with you and forthright. And he makes time for people. And to me, that is uh, as much of his legacy as the 600 wins. It seems like in, in our industry, especially the it's the good people, the ones that are easier to work with, easier to talk to, and it seems like those people have the most success. And so, I mean, yeah, 600 wins is great, but to hear you talk about, because obviously you've covered Johnson C. Smith a lot more closely, um, to hear you just talk about you know, how friendly he is with the media, you know, my experience, little experience talking with you know, various coaches, um, the ones that are usually easiest to talk to and easiest to relate to or they find themselves having a lot of success. So um, sounds to me like he's a golden bull through and through. And uh, He is. He's an alum and all the other things that go along with it. Yeah. And it shows because he cares about the school. And you know, some guys are just, or girls for that matter, are just in it for the next step up the ladder. Or for the paycheck. Well, in Division Two, those checks can only get but so large. So it's got to be love. And he's had his opportunity. He's had opportunities where he's been talked about as a as a potential move up into Division One. But fortunately for Smith, he's been around. And who knows what that athletics program would look like if it weren't for somebody like him. And for for a good chunk of that thirty seven year run. Men's basketball was the thing that people talked about at Smith because football was so bad for so long. So, literally, if it weren't for men's basketball, people wouldn't even pay attention to Smith Athletics until recently when Maurice Flowers was brought back and the football team is now having some success. Got it. So, we're going to stick with the collegiate basketball thing. There is a... Large, large, large game over at Halton Arena on Saturday with the Charlotte 49ers and South Florida. Should the 49ers be desperate at this point? Or are they desperate? <laughs> Desperate's a, uh, it's a loaded term. But is it relative or relevant? I don't, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say so. I mean, I think after, I think. Fern probably realizes after the loss to Memphis and uh, Tulsa on the road that now it's when the conference tournament are bust. Um, too many bad blemishes on the resume this year to uh, 
to constitute an at-large bid. Um, the only hopes and prayers would be to make the conference tournament final and lose on a buzzer beater. And I mean, that, even that's a long shot. Not hopes and pra- hopes and prayers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seventeen Ooh. and ten with you know non-conference losses to teams like Stetson. It's gonna be kind of hard. Um, yeah, the Fighting Hatters. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, yeah, it, it's a big game against South Florida. And, you know, even even in South Florida a few weeks ago, I mean, Charlotte was right there. They led for all but the closing couple seconds of that game. Yeah, the part that matters. <laughs> exactly. And so you lead by double digits, led by 10 at halftime. I think, I want to say 14, 15 at one point at second half. And then ice cold. Yeah. The themes you see running through the last couple games. Memphis, yeah, Lakai Patterson gets in foul trouble, so you don't have your point guard, your floor general on the floor, but just cold cold streaks. Um, you, you watch the game graphic on ESPN, you watch the little the lines, the scoring lines, and Charlotte has a bunch of flat lines. I, I know a lot of Charlotte fans talk about those flat line moments in the offense where it just it goes stagnant and yeah, you might go on like a little 6-0 run, but then if you don't score for the next five minutes, chances are you're not going to be in the league. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. So should Charlotte, be, the mindset going into this game and the rest of the regular season too, because we don't have very many games left, should they be in postseason mode right now where every game literally becomes a tournament game? I think they should have already been in that mode, if you ask me. Um, I, I don't think I don't think Fern's the type of coach that plays games differently based on where they're at in the standing. I mean, they're they're second or tied for second right now behind USF, and uh, they've got the tiebreaker against Florida Atlantic. But I mean, they're two games back, so to get that one seed, yeah, you got to win out and hope for a little help elsewhere. You know, USF may stumble against another team, but. I just think right now they got to get to doing the things that they were doing when they were having success. Block out the last week. Yeah, Charlotte hadn't played well on the road, but last week, the, the Tulsa game, that one really stood out to me. That game, they should have been able to find a way to win. So, tip office Saturday four. T- at 4. And I would imagine that uh, because of the gravity of the game, that – Halton Arena should be fairly full. It might not be ECU full, but there'll be a there'll be a good number of fans there. Well, I mean, you know, but for the most part, they're having a good season. It's kind of been bumpy the last two yeah yeah, two games or so, but uh, there should be some enthusiasm there. So yeah, we'll see how that all works out. Um, The other thing that's going on this week isn't in Charlotte. It's in Indianapolis. And that's the NFL Combine. And anybody who's anybody in the NFL, front office personnel, coaches, scouts, or whatever, they're all over at Lucas Oil Stadium to watch young men in shorts running and doing drills, figuring out Hopefully, this is somebody that will that we would be interested in hiring uh, once the crapshoot known as the NFL draft gets underway next month. Um, the Carolina Panthers, who 
announced this week that they're raising ticket prices by an average of four yeah. percent for a team that went two and fifteen. They've got needs galore, including your extra money for these tickets that they're yeah. trying to sell you. Uh, but in terms of the on-field product, what would you see as the purpose of going to Indianapolis, understanding that there is no first-round draft pick, and you've got needs out the yin-yang? First need, find some guys that want to protect that little 5'10 quarterback. Really? Offensive line is where you would go? First-round pick, I'd go with an offensive lineman. Okay, when you've got Bryce Young, who is proven he's got a capable arm, he's made tough throws, but he doesn't have any time to make them. He's got talented receivers like Mingo and um, Chark and Adam Thielen. They're not bad receivers by any stretch of the means. But they're so not great receivers. They're not great. Okay, well, uh, they are serviceable receivers that could win ball games if Bryce Young had a tenth of a second to throw the ball. Yes, that's exaggerating, sure, but... I mean, well, maybe not. Just watch their games. I mean, <laughs> it, you count. 1,001, boom, someone's through the line and he's scrambling. I mean, give him an ounce of time and just let him go through his progressions once. He'll find the right guy. I've not given up on Bryce Young. A lot of people were like, no, oh, we should have took Stroud. Stroud. Stroud ain't getting blitzed every time because they know their offensive the line's going to fall down. The other side of this argument, and I'm going to make it because that's the way we roll here. He needs playmakers more than he needs linemen. And no. to me, it's like, okay, well, everybody talked about lack of separation. These dudes couldn't get open in a meadow by themselves. Who's <laughs> your best playmaker in Houston? Well, that also becomes scheme when you okay. think about that. So that is as much a part of this equation as anything. If you've got playmakers, and yeah, you've got some guys who can make plays, but if everything works perfectly, everybody can make a play. But what happens when things aren't perfect? So to me, if you're looking at it from the standpoint of, well, do you add offensive linemen, or do you scheme up to where you can use those weapons more efficiently? And get him a playmaker on the perimeter. Now that becomes. I think he's a great perimeter playmaker. He's a, he's a great deep ball threat. I think. Well, he it, he's not. He he hasn't proven everything yet. I, I I agree. I think there is still a lot of potential yet to uncover with him. And with Adam Thielen, with Thielen, you're going to get what you got last year. I mean, you got to think with Thielen though. He was Minnesota's number one guy forever until. They he got, wasn't. They got a talent like Justin Jefferson. I mean, Jefferson's the best receiver in the league. Yeah, but but that's why I say with Thielen, this is it. You know, you you've seen his best, and if you get that, that's that's great. But you do need to have somebody who can stretch a defense, who's going to be that home run threat. That when that ball goes in the air, you know this dude is going to win more often than not. Well, you didn't even have that when you had DJ Moore though. I mean, DJ Moore, everybody was so upset when they got rid of him, but I'm like, yeah, 
I mean, he'd make great plays, but it wasn't like it was every time he was winning a jump ball. It's, he wasn't Megatron. It's amazing how dudes get better once they leave Charlotte. Well, <laughs> they're also playing for Chicago where he was stepping into the number one role. Well, yeah, and the Bears still... Are well, yeah, that's true too. There's a reason they're getting Caleb. <laughs> but now, to that end, if you're also looking at it, to me, it's not necessarily who the Panthers target with that 33rd pick, which they're looking at is well, you know, this is still basically a late first rounder, and we'll debate all kinds of stuff in terms of you know <laughs> whether it should be an offensive lineman. Should it be a receiver? Hey, maybe it's a defensive end. They need a rush person because you still don't know exactly what is going to happen with Brian Burns. So, to me, this becomes a matter of depth in this draft. So, what, whatever you, whatever the direction is at number 33, okay, well, that's fine. But as anyone who follows the NFL knows, Great teams aren't built exclusively on those first rounders. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at it in the history of this league, all these dudes who get picked in the first round, you're going to have as many busts as you're going to have all pros. Great teams are built throughout the draft, especially on the back end, where you've got guys that you can uh, plug in and they contribute immediately in some other way, whether it's special teams or as a situational player or a rotation guy, that kind of thing, and let that talent bloom over the years. And one of the things that the Panthers have not been that good at in recent years is they fall apart after round three in most instances. <laughs> so you need to have some depth in those later rounds in order to build a solid roster that can go out and win you some games and get you to the playoffs and then start chasing a Super Bowl title. Do you know off the top of your head how many picks they have? Six, I I believe. Yeah. I'd go two offensive linemen. I'd I'd definitely sure up the right side. Um, And then... Even Aquano didn't have his best year this past year. So. Oh, he was struggling at times. It's like, but that, but to me, that's about scheme. Did yeah. he suddenly forget how to be a left tackle? Did he suddenly forget how to play football? No, I think the Panthers' scheme was all jacked up. And if Dave Canales, who is supposed to be the quarterback whisperer, if he can get a scheme in that has some balance that doesn't ask too much of the quarterback at this point. They can still matriculate the ball downfield, yeah. get some points. Aquanu will return to that first-year player who showed some promise because I don't think that that line was just physically terrible. It's the, basically the same group. Uh, of course, you have injuries here and they there. Bad. But the scheme left them in that position. Yeah, and I mean, I guess scheme has everything to do with all facets of the game, but line up and block. <laughs> I mean, when it comes down to brass taxes, I mean, just but do some do, But some dudes are better at a certain type of blocking. When sure. that same offensive line, the season before, when Steve Wilkes was the interim coach, all of a sudden, they, they, had, the, the they, they had identity. Yeah. 
What was last year's identity? <laughs> sure. <laughs> right. They were all in witness protection. Two offensive linemen. I was going on only six picks. Go ahead, find your deep ball threat and some receiver. I mean, I don't know if if you go two offensive linemen, I don't know what receiver would be down the list that far. But then, uh, but remember that that receiving that that receiving class. In this year's uh, draft eligible folks, it's a deep class. Yeah, that's true. So you might be able to still grab yourself a decent target out there. But then I would look potentially at a defensive end. I mean, I think Burns is going to be in Carolina. So, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily sell out for that pick. Um, but then later on down the down the line, get a running back. Miles Sanders ain't proving anything. And true. Chuba Hubbard's, yeah. <laughs> They, they got rid of their best running back. Well, now, you can maybe address that in free agency. Derrick Henry might be available. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, okay, so, yeah, he's Say older. Say might be available, too. Well, have, you, have you seen those two running backs' top destinations? Don't think Carolina's at the top of that list. Uh, Josh Jacobs? Could be available as well. I mean, you, could, if you're interested in getting a running back, injury prone running back, sure, go ahead. Well, but yeah, I mean, but I'm just saying, you can get some big name running backs now. If it's if you're talking about ROI, there's only one where, where you could get him. If you could get him as a free agent, that he would be worth the investment. Derrick Henry, a power back is who moves the needle, worth his weight. He could do he damage goes. despite of that offensive line, or in spite of that offensive line. Absolutely. The thing is, though, it, Carolina's not on anyone's short list of where they want to go. Uh, that's true, too, but sometimes... If the price is right. Well, there you go. If the price is right, you will move. And, you know, it's, it's not about who you love necessarily when it comes to the NFL. It's who loves you. Yeah. A lot of people are saying Derrick Henry's could end up in Dallas, which that'd be an interesting dynamic, but well, yeah. And then Saquon yesterday, his agent was saying that Houston's their top priority. Well, they, they because they have a really good quarterback, and Houston's quarterback, Giants quarterback. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> you know, nothing against Daniel Jones, who, who's a homeboy and everything, but uh, yeah. Who makes whom in those scenarios? If it weren't for Saquon, Daniel Jones wouldn't have gotten paid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you're a six. You're the six overall pick. I mean, I don't. <laughs> Remember what I said. Most first rounders are more likely to be busts than boomers. Yeah, but he's been starting ever since he got into the league. And. Well, I mean, that's not to say, I mean, a bust is someone who comes in, he'll start, and then he don't play anymore. I mean, I, do I think Daniel or Jones becomes is good? Gen- no. Or becomes middling. Do I think Daniel Jones is a good, you know, fit NFL quarterback? No. Okay. But I don't think he is a absolute bust because he's proven that he can start in the league for several seasons. He's middling, which means the Giants haven't figured out a way to supplant him yet. That's all they, that they, is. They could have if they wanted to. They've had enough top-ish picks to get a quarterback to replace him if they really wanted to. 
swing and a miss. <laughs> but anyway, let's move on. There's other football going on in Charlotte this weekend too. Uh, USA football. Uh, they're do they're doing uh, tryouts uh, for the uh, for the national team uh, for what is going to become an Olympic sport, and that's over at UNC Charlotte uh, starting this weekend. Uh, so I just wanted to give them a shout out, and uh, we've had interactions with the the folks over at USA Football, and I think that this is a good thing. You know, flag football. To the purists, it's like, okay, well, that's not really football. But it is the fastest growing type of football. And men and women play it. And uh, it's uh, really neat that the national team is uh, going to put together its squad here in Charlotte. So just. It's a type of football that you can play without getting concussions. I mean, well, you can sustain concussions, but yeah. the likeliness of getting a concussion is much more. Scary. Yeah, you want to improve your odds. And here's a wild card for you. I know this is right up your alley, too. It's March. Legalized betting in North Carolina is right around the corner. Ten days. How does that make you feel? I've got my account set up and ready to roll. <laughs> is that right? That's right. <laughs> so, as soon as it goes live, I get to pause the money. <laughs> what is the attraction to that? I mean, there's somebody who's never done that type of sports betting. Yeah. What's what's the attraction? What should people be aware of in the run up to the start of legalized sports betting? Well, I, I would definitely encourage people to know their vices. If uh, if gambling is an issue, leave it alone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if if finances become an issue, I would stay far away from it. But the way I do it, and if you if you set your money up in units and you bet a certain number of quote units per game that you bet or parlay that you bet there's an easy way to keep track of your wins and losses i mean obviously it keeps the number in your account or whatever but there's ways to do it to where you you don't have to bet crazy amounts of money and if as long as you're winning small amounts over time you just see that account start growing and growing and growing don't don't swing for the fences no pun intended with baseball season coming up don't go for that hundred dollar, you know, five leg parlay that's gonna pay out five grand because the likelihood of it happening, you see the the plus one thousand five hundred or whatever, it's slim. So go for go for the short term, and they start slowly start to build. Um, you know, I, I've you know, had a little bit of success in it, and I think that you know as long as you can do it responsibly, responsible gambling is key. It, I mean, it could be fun. Um, I, the, what I enjoy about it is because, I mean, I know a little bit about sports. I know a little bit about some teams, you know. If I bet on them to win, just say, hypothetically, the Hornets are playing the Bucks, And the Bucks are minus, well, minus means favored, ten and a half or whatever. Well, they, they covered last night. So, I would have, I would have, if I bet that game, bet Milwaukee to cover the minus ten. And, uh... Say put five dollars on it. You might only win four something in return, but you're getting the four something on top of your five back. So you've made the four dollars, but you've returned nine something. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, yeah, this is right up my alley. Um, I think it'd be <laughs> cool to do a little sports betting column once uh, every two weeks or something. But uh, 
give you my my weekly picks or something. But yeah, I, I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be good. I think it's gonna be fun. Um, just stay responsible with it. It's the main thing. Any any time you gamble at any level, whether it be cards or slots or craps, whatever dice games. The office pool. <laughs> the office. Hey. I didn't pay a dime into that pool. I went in, I won two weeks, and then boom, cashed out. See, I know my stuff. Anyway, uh, just keep it responsible. That'd be my best advice. Um, it can be fun, but it can be dangerous if you, uh, oh, let me just go ahead and throw $100 on this, and then they an upset happens, especially March Madness. You never know mm-hmm. um, with some of these uh, college basketball games. So, So use some discipline. And some smarts. Bottom line. Much easier said than done for, for some people. Um, addiction with anything can be an issue, but just be responsible. And if you do find yourself having a gambling problem, there's there's numbers to reach out to, um, as with any addiction. So just be careful. Okay. And so we will close it on that note. Uh, we appreciate you listening. And... Be sure to keep up with us at Queen City Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our website, thecharlottepost.com, where you will find all kinds of sports reporting uh, for all kinds of stuff. And with that said, enjoy your weekend. For everybody at The Post, that's Cameron. I'm Herb. Thanks for listening. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. dot com.